Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the No Bad Dogs podcast, the podcast where we love, live, and work with dogs. Today, I'm going to call my buddy Tyler Muto out in Buffalo, New York, and we are going to talk about dogs. So it's going to be really fun. Tyler's, I think, one of the best one of the best dog trainers in the industry, and um, I just respect everything that he does and and the fairness that he brings to dog training and so i'm going to call him today we're going to talk a bunch of dog stuff and that's going to be really really fun okay cool all right tyler so go ahead and just introduce yourself and uh and uh, tell us a little bit about what you do sure okay so my name tyler muto um i'm in buffalo new york i'm a dog trainer i run a training center called canine connection we specialize primarily in uh, behavior problems but we do everything from puppy classes and basic obedience on up um, we do some fun stuff as well with, you know, scent and rally obedience and those types of things. Um, and I'm also the president of the International Association of Canine Professionals, which is a nonprofit association that um, supports dog trainers, advocates for them, um, just helps make sure that our profession moves in the right direction. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, and then I just started a new company called Consider the Dog, which I'm sure we can talk a little bit more about later. Yeah. Uh, which is a um, online streaming video platform um, to help educate dog owners on um, dog behavior and, and, you know, pretty much all matters that will help them live well with their dogs, live harmoniously with their dogs. Um, and uh, so it's going to be myself as well as others, um, you know, contributing content. And uh, that's a new project that's just sort of getting off the ground Sweet. right now. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, and then for those of you who don't know who Tyler is, uh, Tyler, I always call Tyler when I talk about him in my seminars or my training classes. Tyler, I, I consider him the professor in the dog training world. Tyler has a lot of knowledge, very versatile and creative with dog training. He does a lot of great work. And uh, so Tyler Tyler does a lot of creative work that I think really uh, helps not even dog trainers but dog owners really think outside the bubble, which obviously helps the dog. So Tyler's really, really good at what he does. And Tyler, how long have you been the, the president of the IACP? Uh, I've been the president for, this is my, this is my second full year. I took over, um, previous president had to resign. Um, and I took over, um, sort of like halfway through a year. And then last year was a full year and this would be my second full year. I was vice president for four years prior to that, um, and I've been on the board for um, this is my sixth year on the board of directors, um, and uh, yeah, yeah. And you guys, you guys every year have a big uh, like a big get together. Is that correct? 
Yeah, the educational conference. Um, it's an awesome event. This year's in uh, Florida, St. Petersburg, right on the beach in an awesome resort. Um, we get great, great speakers, like top-notch professionals uh, from all over the world, and um, a huge turnout. It's it's just like a it's a massive like think of it as like a massive family reunion. Yeah. And the cool thing is, even people who come for the first time that are like new members of ICP. They always comment that they just instantly felt like they were with family. It's it's so yeah. much fun. We have a great time. Um, so that's coming up in September, um, and you don't have to be a member to come. Anybody can come. It's a great event. Oh really? Um, members get a discounted rate. The discount is basically equivalent to the cost of membership. So it just sort of makes sense to yeah. become a member if you're going to come anyway. Um, and and it's awesome. But we also live stream it. You can you can pay a reduced fee and and live stream the event as well. So so you could be you home. Can't travel or yeah. make it out. Yeah. You could yeah. be home just watching it right on uh right on your laptop or something. That's really cool. What di- what are yeah, the exactly. what are the dates on that? Ooh, uh, it's right. It's it's like right smack dab in the middle. Um, I don't have exact dates in front of me. It starts on a Sunday and then rolls through to Wednesday. Uh, so it's something like the 16th through the 19th, or somewhere in that ballpark. So Sweet. whatever that like Sunday to Wednesday range is, right around there. Sweet. Yeah, yeah that sounds fun. And uh, you know, I've been a member of the ICP for a while, and it's something I've always wanted to do. So now that the live streaming is is available, I mean, that's that's so huge. And there's really no excuse for anybody not to. Not to jump on it because you guys have speakers. I mean, last year you had like a handful of really, really great speakers. Do you have any keynote speakers yeah. this year? Like any standouts that, you know, the people out there that are listening to the podcast may may know off the top of the head? Yeah, so so last year we had Rodney Habib, who's a really well-known, um, huge social media presence, talks about um, nutrition quite a bit. And his uh, partner in crime, Karen Becker, Dr. Karen Becker, she's probably the most followed veterinarian, um, in the world. Um, she's actually coming this year. She actually came last year with Rodney. Rodney was the speaker, but she came along with, and and she had such a great time, um, that, uh, she wanted to come and speak this year. And I'm, I'm pretty sure Rodney will come along and and tag along with her as well. So he'll be there as well. Um, Ivan Balabanov is going to be speaking this year. Uh, For those who don't know, Ivan is arguably one of the most successful dog trainers in the world. Well, when it comes to competitive obedience, um, IPO world champion, I think a couple times, I think he's one of the only people to win the world championships twice with a dog that he actually bred himself. Yeah, that's huge. Um, He's, he's just a phenomenal, he's like a savant, um, Hmm. really just a genius guy when it comes to, you know, precision, competitive working dog type training. Um, so he'll be there this year. Um, trying to rack my brain off the top of my head, uh, because there are so many speakers that we try to get every year, and it's hard to remember who we actually confirmed with and who yeah. we didn't. Um, well, yeah. and, and you know, some people that don't come this year will come next year and such. But yeah, and you got uh, t- you got time to to confirm and stuff too. But it sounds like you ha- you know you have a good lineup of people, and I think it's important because the way that you know the podcast here, that the No Bed Dogs podcast is going to be set up is we're going to be talking to people who've never heard of any of these people, or you or I, they just stumbled up upon it because it's a dog training podcast. So. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, it, the IACP conference is one of those things that I think everybody should be a member of or, or just, you yeah. know, at, and go ahead as quick thing, really quick. So, yeah. so first off, like the website is canineprofessionals.com, but I just want to point out that, um, although we are considered a uh, professional association, you actually don't have to be a professional 
trainer to join. We have different tiers of membership. And because we do so much advocacy for the dog world and yeah. we are a nonprofit and we always like funding is always an issue. Our lowest tier of membership is called affiliate is actually just for the public. Um, and so they get a lot of benefits. They get to be part of the organization. They get to know they're supporting um, the animal industry and, and making sure that, you know, um, trainers can can still operate because there's all kinds of legislation that pops up yeah. where they try to restrict what trainers can do, which can be really, really damaging to, to yeah. dogs and to dog welfare overall. Um, and how many dogs are going to land in shelters because they can't get access to proper training. Yeah. So, you know, that, that low tier of membership for anybody who's listening, it's just a dog lover and really supports this kind of information and education. Um, just hit up canineprofessionals.com, join as an affiliate. It's like $65 a year. It's nothing, but it really, um, you know, those dollars really, really, really are extremely helpful when it comes to the advocacy work that we do in the industry. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it, it also just helps the community um, stay protected, you know, when when exactly yeah. when, when other professionals or even other, you know, even if you're a dog owner and, and you love, you know, what your trainer does in your area or a specific trainer that you like in general, you know, you're, you're supporting them in a sense and you're supporting the dog community. So I think it's a really good idea for sure. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Exactly. Um, so yeah, so basically what we're going to do today is I'm just going to ask you a couple different questions that I think is super relevant and I wanted to get your opinion on it. And, um, the podcast that we do is, is for every, you know, person within the dog world. It's not just for trainers or dog owners or new dog owners or, you know, people who've been in the industry forever. It's just something, it's content for people to, to listen to when they're on their way to work or a long drive, just to put a little bit more information out there to help. You know, my goal is each podcast, if I can put something out that can help one dog owner out there and change that one dog's life, it's, it's totally worth it for me. So, um, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a couple different questions that are all going to be right up your alley, I'm sure. And I want to get your opinion on it and educate myself and then educate anybody else that's listening and and then we can kind of uh, you know talk about some of these topics and I think all of these topics are going to be very relevant um, within the industry and Tyler what would you <clears throat> excuse me what would you consider so moving forward within the talking about the IACP and protecting dog owners and protecting dog trainers and professionals etc um, what would you consider yourself as a trainer because um, you know what I've been doing the last couple of years for sure is I've really been trying to figure out you know what I'm doing and and I don't really know what to call myself as far as because I started off as a dog trainer because I really didn't know what else to call myself but I'm really I, I don't know so why don't why don't you just give me like the definition of what you would consider what a dog trainer is to you and what you would call yourself as file as as, as far as like what style you present. Sure. Um, I mean, I generally refer to myself as a dog trainer just because I think it's sort of like a nice all encompassing term. Sure. Um, and it's, it's just a term that the, you know, that just the, the public, you know, knows. The public understands. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Um, and I certainly do a lot of what is traditionally called dog training, you know, yep. sit down, stay all that traditional type stuff. Um, you know, you'll hear other terms float around like behaviorist and stuff. That yeah. terms has sort of been hijacked. Yeah. It's sort of weird. Usually people that call themselves behaviorists. Um, at this point, you're more often referring to a veterinary behaviorist, which in reality, the majority of veterinary behaviorists, what they do is specialize in medicating dogs for behavior issues. So they're not actually right. doing behavior modification in the hands-on sense. It's more, does my dog need 
pills. medication. Right. Um, and sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. I have my own opinions on um, that sort of side of things. Yeah. Um, and then the other uh, group of people that will call themselves behaviorists are people that have a PhD in animal behavior. And again, those people, they could be authors, they could be, you know, they may not necessarily be the best when it comes to actually hands-on changing dogs' behaviors. So usually when somebody contacts me and they say, oh, I think I need a behaviorist, right. I say, more likely what you want to look for is a dog trainer who specializes right. in behavior. Right. Um, yeah. And that's kind of what I consider myself. I consider myself a behavior expert or a behavior specialist um, because I'm a dog trainer. To me, dog trainers, we're the ones who are hands-on. We're the ones who are in the trenches. We're going into people's homes. We're actually working with families from start to finish and seeing the direct impact of the advice that we're giving them, as opposed to some of the other professions that you might go into their office and spend a few hundred dollars and they give you some tips and then you're sort of off on your own. And that's that, Yeah, you know, we're the ones that are meeting weekly with people and, and following through or doing the board and trains where we're actually hands-on manipulating dog behavior um, in a really direct sense. And so I like using the word dog trainer because I think, once somebody like myself starts calling themselves a behaviorist, yeah. um, until that term sort of, you know, somebody's clarifies like their grip on it a little bit. Yeah. I think then people start looking for behaviorists when often that's not what they want. Often right. that's really going to be barking up the wrong tree. And not to say that the, I'm, I'm delegitimizing, you know, animal yeah. behaviorists. It's just it's not what the average person actually needs to right. have a direct impact on their quality of life with their dog. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I've, I've come into that, uh, not issue, but I guess, um, I've come into that subject before with, with dog owners is they, and that's, that's, and I, and that's something that like, I don't know much about is when people come in and they say, Oh, it's all behavioralist. And, um, and then they said, well, put your dog on this or that, or, or I've just heard like skewed like things to do with the dog that just doesn't make any sense to me. And, uh, I think that that's a good point to, to call, to, to say, and, and like, if I ever saw anybody out, uh, you know, like at a, at a restaurant or I, I ran into an old buddy that doesn't know what I do, I would, I would definitely say I'm a dog trainer cause I can't explain to them. Well, you see, you know, so what I started calling myself is a problem solver. So when people come in, I always look at it as an, almost like an investigation. And a lot exactly, of, t yeah. a lot of times what I tell people is I say, look, um, you know, this isn't training. Uh, there's, and I, and I, and again, going back to what you said about, you know, the validation of how important dog, actual dog training is sit, stay, wait, down, touch, etc. Those foundations are still really important to any dog. However, a lot of people who come in need exactly what you said, specific behavioral focus and somebody with a lot yeah. of, ex a lot of experience and, um, we just did a, and, and I, that's kind of like a, the next step I wanted to move in with you is what do you think? Uh, cause you, so, so I'm in upstate New York. So Tyler's like four and a half hours West of me. And so we definitely don't share the same market. However, I think all the dog trainers across the country share the same, the same things, the same problems, the same issues, the same conversations, I'm sure. And sure. I think a lot of times when people come in, and, um, like I had a, I had a girl come in from Philly last weekend and she just, she thought she had a, a, a dog training issue when really the dog was super insecure or the dog was fearful. So what do you, what do you think translates or what do you think is, is 
is transferred from when somebody comes in with a with a behavioral issue and says my dog is barking at men with hats i mean would you then say well this isn't really training this is more behavior remodification i guess clarify your what's the significant difference with training and behavior modification if if a client were to come in and say i have a dog with behavioral issues what would you generally say what's your approach i guess um so i don't you know personally like at at that point for me i don't really spend too much time caring what we call it right. it's just a matter of what are we going to do yeah um because to a certain extent it's behavior modification so there's you know um, let me step back a second sure there is a lot of behavior modification that is still dog training, right? So yep. here's what I mean by that. When I think of dog training, I think of how we directly manipulate behavior through rewards and consequences, essentially, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, that could mean teaching a dog to do things that we want them to do, like come when called. Mm-hmm. It could mean teaching the dog not to do things that we don't want them to do, like rushing the door when the doorbell rings. And to me, it's that's all dog training. Yeah. And even though some of it might fall under the category of behavior modification, because the like, for instance, the doorbell thing might be connected to an aggression issue. Right. Where I think we fall out of dog training and into something else is when we start looking at how is how is behavior affected indirectly, in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, for instance, there's a lot of situ. There are a lot of situations where manipulating the environment can have an incredible impact on the dog's behavior. Yeah. Um, there are situations where manipulating your relationship with the dog and how the dog perceives your relationship has an impact on their behavior in 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 areas that are seemingly unrelated, right? And that's where the lines really blur with some of this stuff because. We get a lot of people who, let's say, for instance, they have a dog who is being aggressive over their food bowl, yeah. right? Every time you go near them when they're eating, they're, they're showing aggression. That's a behavioral issue. And oftentimes, more often than not, the underlying cause of that behavior is actually a relationship issue. Right. So there are, there are trainers who go in. And say, okay, we're going to just target this food bowl thing. Right. We're going to desensitize and counter condition, and we're going to try to change your dog's perception of what it means when you when you approach the food bowl. Right. And that's one way of approaching that problem. The other way of approaching the problem is, let's look at your relationship as a whole, right. and say, how might we adjust the relationship such that the dog doesn't feel yeah. that it's even appropriate for them to guard the food bowl anymore. Right. And where the lines become really blurred is that. When you train the dog, sit down, stay, et cetera, that has an impact on the relationship right. that you have with your dog, especially if previously you had very little control. And now all of a sudden you're able to control your dog in a really sort of calm and orderly way. And you're giving them more reinforcement for good behavior. So they're really appreciating the feedback that they're getting. Yeah. And all of a sudden we've had cases where the dog comes in for food aggression but we realize that they really have no basic training. So we start them first on basic training, kind of like, you know, teach somebody to walk before you teach them to do cartwheels, you right. know? So yep. we start them on basic training. And before you know it, the dog's not acting food aggressive anymore, but we never actually did anything right. directly with the food aggression. And so that's where dog training and this more like, you know, behavior 
modification stuff can become blurred. The, the problem with that in the industry, and this is especially with like newer dog trainers, and this was certainly the case for me for many years as I was still learning, is yeah. dog training is easier to get a grasp on when you're starting out training dogs. And so a lot of trainers become reliant on the training component. Right. And in some cases, the training component doesn't fully address the underlying causes. And what we have is a situation where now we can manage the dog's behavior, right? Like we can, we can sort of control things enough that problems don't occur. Yeah. But the problem is still there sort of bubbling under the surface. Right. Yeah. And so that's where understanding, I think more from a professional standpoint, I don't think it's even as important for the, the actual dog owner to necessarily understand this stuff, but for professionals to really understand is what they are doing actually solving the problem or just kind of covering it up. Right. You know, like we see a lot of dogs, for instance, that are human aggressive and a trainer teaches that dog to go to their dog bed and stay there. And now, okay, people can come to the house because the dog just stays on the dog bed and doesn't bother anybody. Right. But if the dog were off the dog bed, the aggression problem will still be there. So we've managed the situation by saying, hey, at least you can control the dog so you can have guests over. Right. But the dog's not really at liberty to do natural dog stuff. Um, so we haven't really removed the problem. We've just managed the problem. We've compartmentalized it, right? right. Um, and we see that happen all the time where then that's where people are stuck for the rest of their lives with their dogs. They've gotten that far. It's certainly a massive improvement on their quality of life, but it's not really the, the solution that we ideally would look for. So the next step. So I guess let me, let me clarify for, for people out there that, that maybe not understanding or are not following um, and, and, and for me to clarify too is so, and I, and I kind of, I, I approach each situation very, very similar, similar. And, and I think that it's important exactly like I've been preaching that for a very long time that generally speaking, if your dog has issues, whether it's pulling on a leash, biting people, um, wanting to chase a kid or, or not coming when called, generally speaking, unless it's some neurological, inheritedly, I'm born with it type of behavior, it's the relationship-based bad behavior that I see as well. Meaning, if there's an issue with the dog, chances are your relationship sucks. I mean, if, if, you're, if you can't get your... And, and, I, and I think the important part of what Tyler was saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, Tyler, is if your dog... So say, say the, the food aggression thing. Well, if you... Like you said, if you attack the food aggression thing and maybe be able to have like a leave it or an out command, that same behavior is going to transfer somewhere else because your relationship isn't good. And it was, it was, it was created off. You can't tell your dog through whatever it may be, negative enforcement or, or, or whatever, whatever it is, however you punish or discipline your dog. If you can't get your dog to stop trying to bite you over an object that they think is theirs then they're not going to listen to you on the leash and they're not going to listen when you say don't do that is is that kind of the if what you're trying to say is that right yes like i mean to a certain extent yes so um people often do end up playing like behavioral whack-a-mole you know what i mean yeah. like they they focus on because often the behavior is the symptom it's not the problem right so they focus on the symptom and they sort of suppress that and then it pops up somewhere else. The analogy right. I always use is like, imagine 
you had like a child who was suffering from really horrible anxiety. Yeah. And as a result of their anxiety, they were like chewing their fingernails all the way down. Right. Yeah. And so as a solution, we put bitter tasting nail polish on their fingers. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, we didn't actually treat the anxiety. So yeah. now maybe they stop biting their fingernails because we've made that experience aversive for them. Right. But the anxiety is going to still manifest itself in other ways. Yeah, somewhere else. Right. And, and that often happens. Now, don't get me wrong. There are cases where the dog developed a habit of food aggression. The relationship is okay. It's just become a habitual behavior and we target the food aggression and voila, everything's fine. We just change the way the dog perceives, you know, somebody approaching their food. Yeah. Sometimes it, it, it yeah. is like, like I've had cases where the dog was like runt of the litter and had to sort of fight for its food from the beginning. And so it has nothing to do with the owner's relationship. It's just, this is what the dog learned. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is, this is how the dog was raised yeah. previous to the owner even getting their hands on it. And so in those cases, sometimes the traditional like behaviorism approach of, well, let's approach the food bowl and throw chicken in it while the dog's eating and make the dog think that every time you approach the food bowl, awesome things are going to happen. Yeah. And before you know it, blah, blah, the dog's like, oh, I guess I don't need to worry about my food bowl when you're around. Yeah. But there are a lot of cases where the food issue is actually a symptom of how the dog perceives the owner yeah. um, and how the dog perceives their relationship. Yeah. If the dog is maybe a little bit more tipped on the dominance end of the spectrum. I know that word is somewhat taboo in the industry, but it, right. it is a thing, right? And if the, if the dog is somewhat tipped on that end of the spectrum, they may feel that it's inappropriate for the owner to approach them while they're eating. And so in their mind, what they are doing feels very natural and normal because in the animal kingdom, yeah. it wouldn't be terribly abnormal for a more dominant member of the group yeah. Um, to say, bare yeah, its teeth back when off, uh, right. a more subordinate member comes over while they're eating. That's a, like watch National Geographic. That's a really normal thing for a lot of species of animals to do. Exactly. Um, and so in the dog's mind, this is not inappropriate for them. And you can, you know, click and treat the dog as you approach and that's all fine and dandy. And maybe the dog will stop that behavior. Maybe they won't. But again, it's not fixing if, the problem. If the, dog, if the dog still feels that way about the relationship, yeah. You you run a high risk of as soon as you stop, you know, throwing chicken as you approach, the dog goes back to the behavior because the underlying motivation is still there. You haven't changed that. You haven't yeah. you changed that innate drive or the behavior crops up somewhere totally different where now the dog's growling at you. If you try and sit on the couch and they're on the couch already. Yeah. Right. Um, and and you get other related behavioral issues because, again, the food thing wasn't the problem. It was the symptom. Exactly. So it's basically just, it's not fixing the real issue. It's just, it's taking one of the, one of the sectors out of the, the big issue away and covering it up maybe just for a little bit, but it's still going to pop up somewhere else. Yeah. And, and a huge qualifying statement here, just because there is all kinds of, there are all kinds of things on, you know, internet and television, all this kind of stuff. Sure. Yes. I use the word dominance. Please do not take that to mean that if you have a dog who's growling at you when you approach their mm -hmm. food, that you should walk up and like pin them on their back and shake right. them by their scruff and all. Like, don't don't do that. Yeah, there are way better ways to deal with a dog who's a little bit pushy or feels that they're a little bit higher on the totem pole. It doesn't need to be a physical confrontation. Um, definitely seek professional help. 
yeah. it, it's not as simple as, you know, television and internet sometimes makes these things out to, to be. Yeah. A lot of times dominance, the, 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 <laughs> the, uh, the prescription for dominance for, for what a lot of dog owners out there who are listening probably think it is, is just roll it on its back, pinch it, bite it. I've had a, I had a, <laughs> I had a message the other day and somebody asked me, should I spit in my dog's mouth to make it <laughs> make me alpha <laughs> and, and, and oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard that stuff before. be more yeah. dominant. And it's like, so yeah, dominance is one of those things that gets thrown out there a lot. And that's, that's, that's all very, very relevant, I think, to, to what's happening. And I, and I've been seeing more of it with, with issues and I'm sure you can, you can really, really agree with me when chances are when you come in with, with a significant issue or behavioral issue, it's transferred everywhere. And would, and, and I sometimes also like, I spend a lot of time with the human and educating the human, um, but also looking at their characteristics and their lifestyle, you know, how are they, sometimes how are they dressed? Um, how do they approach themselves? How are they, you know, physically, how, how, what kind of person are they? And sometimes they, they mirror and match the dog's behavior. Um, and I've even seen it where kids have come in and they're just all over the place. I mean, they're jumping on the counters, they're, you know, overflowing the water dishes in the side, they are kicking chairs, they're not listening. And then you can, you can almost guarantee without even looking at the dog. Okay. Well, I know exactly what the dog is going to be like. And so yeah. I yeah I think that that's yeah. very relevant and I think people out there that have dogs just need to understand and I've always preached that um especially in the last couple of years after I've worked with as many dogs as I have I said wow man very rarely do I actually have to work with the dog very rarely yeah and it's usually just a huge disconnect of the owner just not having the great relationship and like you said um, if, if you can't go up and say, this is my chicken leg, not yours, or even this is my bed and not yours, or this is my human and not yours. And your dog looks at you and goes, no, that's, that's a huge disconnect in your relationship, but it'll transfer to other things like the bed, food, um, even people, right? I mean, it's, it's transferable everywhere. I, I like the, the analogy you use of whack-a-mole where <laughs> if, if you cover up the, one of the the sectors of the huge issue of actually it being your relationship, it's just going to pop up somewhere else. That's yeah. what, that's good. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So, uh, all right, cool. That's 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 all great information, and that's very validating for me too. Um, because uh, I remember when I first got into the industry uh, seriously, and I started really growing. I remember I called you, Tyler, and I don't know if you remember the conversation, but I was like, "Hey, man." I'm starting to get a lot of clients and, you know, I'm not really getting any support. And you were like, mm-hmm. yeah, welcome to the club. And because the dog, <laughs> the dog industry is so almost cutthroat and or, you know, this may be the right term or not, but political in a sense of, you know, what what avenue do you follow and who do you believe in and, and what terminology do you use and, and who are your, your inspirations and things like that. And, um, so it's really nice to hear somebody, somebody validate your thoughts and your processes of, you know, chances are your dog doesn't have an issue. You've just taught your dog how to be this way. Long story short. Um, but with that, with that being said, you know, moving forward in the, in the dog industry, um, you know, what are your, what are your thoughts about just the dog industry in general? I mean, you have a very, I mean, not only are you the president of a huge professional association and so you deal with 
probably a lot of politics and, and good and bad and indifferent and opinions and respecting those opinions. And then you also have a dog training facility and, um, you, you do a lot of seminars too, right. And travel and, and work with, mm-hmm. I, I mean, you travel all over the world, right? So. You, yeah. I can this year off from travel cause we just had our second yeah, child, but, um, yeah, but cool. yeah, for the previous five years or so we're doing a lot of travel. Yeah. yeah. And so real quick, I mean, I know that we could probably talk three hours on this, but What's your, I mean, for me and in, in working with dogs, I think that there is definitely a wrong way and a right way. But for me, I believe that as long as the dog isn't, uh, it's, hard, it's hard to put, but as long as, I, I think everybody has the same idea. And I think if you get to the same destination of where the dog should be, both mentally and physically uh healthy many meaning the dog gets better if you will in lamest terms um Mm -hmm. do you agree that it doesn't really matter how you get to that destination as long as you do it comfortably and and respectfully and responsibly and what are your thoughts on on that because you get a lot of people that i mean i know that you know i would consider myself within the dog training world a balanced dog trainer which means um i believe in discipline but i also believe a ton of you know a ton of positive reinforcement what are your yeah. what are your thoughts on getting to the same getting to the same place as long as you know <clears throat> nothing is damaged and everybody is is okay with it i guess so i think um how do i answer this so <laughs> i think you, like in a sense, you sort of contradicted yourself, right? So because on on one level, yeah, like we, we definitely want to get to the end goal of the dog is like happy and everything yeah. is all good. But like you said, it's also like making sure that on the way there, things were comfortable and you know what I'm saying? So yeah. it, it does, like to me, I think there are a lot of dog traders out there who their standard of success is did it work? Meaning they look at the end and they say, okay, all said and done dogs, tails wagging. Yeah. Um, dogs doing the things I want to do, not doing things I didn't want to do. So good, like thumbs up. And the thing that we have to remember is that dogs are like insanely resilient animals. You know, we see like dogs that, you know, are in accidents and have to get a leg amputated and the very next day are like wagging their tails. Right. So if we just look at the end result and say, look, the dog's happy. So what I did to how I got here must have been ethical. I think Mm -hmm. we run into massive problems. Yeah. So to me, the process does matter. It matters tremendously. I think the standard of did it work is so insufficient and i think as professionals if that's the only standard we hold ourselves to then like go find another job because Mm -hmm. we are dealing with living breathing sentient animals with extraordinarily rich emotional lives and if we don't care about how they feel emotionally throughout the process then there's something really wrong now that Mm -hmm. isn't to say that there aren't parts of dog training, especially if you're getting into the heavy stuff like aggression rehab. That's not to say that there aren't going to be moments that just are going to have to be a little uncomfortable for a moment, yeah. right? But yeah. do we care? Are we making an effort to find the way that minimizes that as much as possible, right? That yeah. that is That is the smoothest, most efficient course of action. And there's some trainers who care about that and some trainers who don't. And now to kind of give the broader overview for listeners who aren't as ingrained into the industry, this industry is highly politicized. And historically, what's occurred is 
sort of pre-1980s dog training was super physical. It was all kind of do it because I said so. And then in the 1980s, dog training started borrowing from the training of exotic animals and marine mammals where you can't really force them right. and you have to use positive reinforcement, clicker training, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. And there became a wave of dog trainers that said, we're going to use no, like no correction, no aversives. Force. Everything's going to yeah. be based on rewarding the dog or withholding rewards from the dog. And we're going to do what we can there. Yeah. And coming out of that period in the mid eighties, there's still a large, large portion of professionals and sort of enthusiasts who believe that that is the only way to train animals is through reward-based methods, I'll call it. It's not really um, accurate to call it positive reinforcement-based because there's something called negative punishment, right. which sounds bad, but it's actually just withholding a reward. Yeah, taking away, um, the, f- taking away the good. Yeah, right. yeah, withholding access to reward. So, so reward-based means it's all through where the dog gets reinforced and where do we withhold reinforcement. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem is there's, there are, there are in, in like realistic limits to what you can do with just reward-based methods. And especially when we come to eliminating problem behaviors. So when it comes to like teaching a dog something new, absolutely, reward-based is awesome. Now, maybe not always the best when it comes to making that new skill reliable, especially in the face of like real-world challenges and distractions. But as far as just giving that new knowledge to the dog, absolutely reward-based. And so out of the then purely reward-based came a group of trainers that called themselves balanced. So these are trainers that said, Hey, all this reward-based stuff. Awesome. But I still need to retain some element of being able to use corrections, being able to use some aversives in a measured way and as minimally as possible so that I can have reliability or so I can adequately eliminate behaviors that are potentially dangerous and problematic and limit the dog's freedom and ability to be in our left. Right. The problem is this, this is the big problem. Yeah, I'm ready. The term balanced dog training became this all encompassing term for anything that is not purely reward based. And so what that means is there still are, and we don't want to be in denial about this. There still are a decent number of trainers that rely very heavily on force. They rely very heavily on aversive pressure to get the job done and use very little reward. Or when they do use reward, they're not really using it in like, like they could be using it much better and, and not having to use so much force. And those people still call themselves balanced dog traders. And so now we have is this war between like two different camps. Right. (laughs) Yep. And so, but, but me personally, the reason I don't like calling myself a balanced dog trainer is because there's a lot of people in the balanced dog training camp that I don't really want to associate with. And, you know, and so yeah. Yeah. what I think is the path forward for the future, and this is especially within the IACP, is yes. we can't, as balanced dog trainers, we can't be the safe harbor for everybody who uses punishment regardless of how carelessly they use it. Right. Right. And so I think the the starting point is for us to say, to to go to those reward-based people who hate any and all aversives, but to say, hey, listen, we know you hate all aversives, but let's just at least both agree that this stuff over here is really bad, right? And let's work together to get rid of that. You know what I mean? And so maybe we can create some common ground where even though reward-based trainers say, hey, you know what? It's my preference to not use any aversives. 
I appreciate the fact that even though you do, you're very thoughtful about it. You try to minimize it. You take a lot of care and concern into the well-being of the dog, not only at the end of the process, but throughout the whole process. And those are the trainers that I like to associate with. And I think that's what balanced dog trainers should mean. But unfortunately, today, it doesn't. And so for listeners out there, you can't necessarily just say, hey, I want to find a balanced dog trainer. And if somebody has that on their website, right. like take that as they're going to be great. Because like I said, there are people that call themselves balanced that like, you know, like, like just because you have a couple cookies in your pocket doesn't make you balanced. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you have to right. actually make an effort to right. get really good at reward-based training. Like yep. get as good as you can get at it yep. and then fill the gaps, fill the gaps in between. And the better you get, the less pressure should be necessary. But there's always, in my opinion, if you want real reliability, if we're dealing with real families, with real behavior issues, with limited time, limited skill levels, right. we have to make sure we're well-versed on all aspects of dog training. We can't say, you know, because the thing is, it might be my preference to train with all rewards, but what works for me may not work for the family that I'm trying to help. Right. And so I need to be able to find solutions to help that family. And I want to be good, just like the balance trainer needs to be really, really good at using rewards. Right. The reward-based trainer should also be, should know all the ins and outs of applying leash pressure or e-collar pressure in the most gentle and humane way possible. Of course. So that we can really keep as many dogs as possible in their homes. Because the reality is training a dog with only rewards, and even when it is possible for the dog, a lot of times it's not feasible for the family for the, yeah. dog team. The you owner. know what I mean? Yep. It takes so, a lot of time, a lot of skill, a lot of repetition. Right. Um, and, and that, you know, the world isn't there yet. The right. world just isn't there yet, you know? And it's, so it's, it's really just about versatility, right? I mean, it's. Yeah. Uh, just being open and, and being honest with ourselves and trying to always, always, always do what's best for the dog yep. and not excluding things. I mean, I've worked with professionals that refuse to use treats because they think it's bribery. Right. Right. And those people still call themselves balanced, but they refuse to use treats. They think it's bribery. They think it's going to ruin the relationship. That is the most absurd thing. So what, it's so absurd. what do they do then? Um, what do they do for, for their, for the reinforcement of the behavior they want? Do they just do verbal or what do they do? It's yeah. Praise. Right. And here's a huge red flag for anybody listening. So first off red flag, anybody who says they only use reward based methods to me, that should be a red flag. Yeah. Um, because one dimensional, you know, it's one dimensional, but it's not as bad. It's not as bad as the other side. I'll, exactly. I'll put it that way. Like, I, like I'd rather work with somebody that only uses rewards than use the opposite. Because worst case scenario with the reward-based person is they're ineffective. Exactly. So they're not going to do anything that's harmful for your dog's emotional well-being. Yeah, they're going to be buddies. Um, they're going to be buddies. They're yeah, going to be really good buddies. Yeah. So just, you know, worst case scenario, it's ineffective for you. Yes. But the other side can be really stressful for your dog. Could ruin and Could the ruin red the flag is the thing to watch out for is when somebody says that they train dogs using nothing but praise. Because right. here's the thing. And verbal praise are you talking? Verbal yeah. praise, physical praise. I have there are I've been trained dogs for a long time. There yeah. are some dogs that are extremely socially motivated that will work very hard for praise. Right. That is a small percentage of the overall dog population. Mm-hmm. If somebody if somebody says they only use praise and that's what's motivating the dog, I can almost guarantee you that's a lie. And that really, in the bulk of scenarios, what's motivating the dog is avoiding some kind of very unpleasant consequence. Right. 
right? So they'll say sit, they'll yank on the dog's leash, they'll say sit, they'll yank on the dog's leash. Eventually they say sit, the dog sits and they praise the dog and they say, look, I teach my dogs to only work for praise. Yeah, but the dog's not only working for praise, the dog's also working to get you to stop yanking on their collar. Escaping. Right? Right. Yeah. And again, you can do escape avoidance training in really subtle, subtle, graceful ways that aren't painful, that aren't stressful. Right. Right. But again, let's be straightforward and honest about what we're doing. And so that's sort of the red flag for dog owners out there is definitely ask questions yeah. because there's still some nasty stuff out there. There's absolutely. And, and I think that that ethical issue in the training community where there's a lack of standards is a huge problem. Yeah. And do you think now let me ask you this. Do you think that do you think that there you know, I always tell people when they come in and they talk about, well, my last trainer did this or my last trainer did that, whether they're wrong, right or different. I, I tell people that there is a time and a place for, for almost everything that we do with dogs, but you have to pick you have to pick your battles where if you're doing positive reinforcement and you know, over the behavior you want, so teaching a dog how to sit and they sit and you're you know, giving them food, especially if it's a puppy, because I, I use a lot of force free, no leash, food motivated puppy stuff. But then I also mm-hmm. there there comes a point where then you have to switch and say, you're not coming back or you're not you're not stopping. Jump, you're not stopping to jump on somebody. You're 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 just being a jerk or they're non-compliant and they know the command very clearly. Then at that point, is that the and is that the point where you then say as, as a trainer or you know, whatever, say, okay, the dog clearly knows sit or whatever it is, whatever the command is, and they're just being non-compliant in a non-environmentally stressed area. They should totally do it. And is that the point that you would suggest to the people out there that are listening? That's the point where you then instill some sort of discipline to say, hey, you're not listening and you should. Yes, but see the guidance of a professional (laughs) because it's not as easy, like, yeah. Not all dogs understand when you all of a sudden yank on their leash, right. why you're yanking on their leash. Right. So I always tell people, right, just because a dog knows, for instance, the cub command, yep. doesn't mean if you slap an electronic collar on them that they're going to understand that the reason mm-hmm. they felt that wacky feeling yeah. is because they didn't come to you. Right. And there are steps that we need to take to help the dog ensure that they understand that they are controlling that experience. And we want to take those steps and give that knowledge on levels of intensity that are not stressful to the dog, that are not freaking the dog out. And the same goes with a leash correction. I am really, really um, specific about how I introduce the concept of leash pressure to a dog. I don't just start correcting the dog. Right. Even if the dog already knows the command for a treat, doesn't mean the dog's going to totally grasp that I pulled on the leash because they didn't sit. And if right. they want to avoid that pull next time, they just need to sit faster. Right. That's going to take some learning experience. And if throughout that learning experience, I'm using levels of intensity that are stressful to the dog. Right. You, it's, it's needlessly stressful. Yeah. You can teach the dog all about leash pressure with intensity levels that are so minimal the dog's like hey this is cool it's just information and then if we need to increase the pressure later on at that point the dog should understand very clearly all the sort of contingencies of when and why leash pressure occurs right right? so we're specific about the stuff and that's why professional dog trainers are needed because you 
no, like don't just like start doling out right. discipline without really knowing how. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I and I find that too. Uh, coming into the facility and, and dealing with um, shadow students from different uh, different organizations and just dealing with with dog owners in general. A lot of times when we teach them, okay, your dog is doing all of these things from the lack of leadership or the lack of control or lack of discipline, and a lot of people think discipline is automatically pain or a correction is automatically you're kicking your dog and you have to then thoroughly explain to them. And that's that's why I love having the opportunity when people come in and they see the e-collar or the prong collar on the wall, it gives me a great opportunity to say, you know what, it, it's not the crank and jerk type of stuff that you did 10 to 20 years ago this is all new new stuff i mean we've 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 advanced so much from from everything i i used to tell people well, i still do that sometimes the the old stuff that we have the old technology that we have is so much more advanced now and why wouldn't why would we not uh, take that opportunity to help our dogs advance when we don't want our dogs back on dial up where we were 10 years ago or whatever it was. Oh yeah, of course. And you know, the thing too is like, so for instance, now in Europe, there's a lot of talk about um, legislation to, to ban electronic collars. Right. right? And a lot of the crazy. Um, rhetoric that gets thrown around is that the tools are archaic and barbaric and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> but here's the deal, right? People, because like, you know, trainers that, that are really vocal about this, that are, you know, only reward based, that are really adamantly against anything else often <laughs> say that their methods are the most modern, most scientifically based. Right. That's really not true. Reward only training is almost, it's like 30 to 40 years old now. Right. Yeah. Like that yeah. movement was started in the eighties. Since then, there has been massive developments in the realm of hey, look how sophisticated people are being with rewards. Can we be as sophisticated with with using any kind of pressure and make sure that we're doing it in really careful ways? And so, yeah, modern e-collar training, certainly there are parts of it where, and again, like if my dog's running towards a road chasing a deer and there's a truck coming, I'd rather the e-collar sting a little bit than have oh, him get yeah. hit by a car. Absolutely. Right? So there's definitely moments where sometimes it might need to, but the, the training process should not involve that kind of intensity. Exactly. And the modern equipment is like light years from where it was in the eighties where like every level was like sending your dog through the roof. Now most dogs are learning on levels that humans can't even feel. And so when, when trainers say that they're using modern scientific methods, the most modern methods out there right now is the really, really, really balanced stuff. The, the people that are, that are becoming very, very skilled, they're learning everything they can learn about reward-based training. And then being really, really like scientifically precise about the use of pressure. That is right now the most modern wave of dog training. That yeah. is the most modern. And the science hasn't caught up to it yet, which is very true. Like I always use the saying, carpenters were driving nails in the wood before a few steps behind the field. And so if you look at the science that's, that's studying, you know, how dogs respond to different training methods, when they're testing prong collars and e-collars, they're using like the archaic approach. Tell you there. Yep. Yeah, you there? You there? You there? Uh, I'm here. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You cut out there for a minute. Okay. Um, what I was saying is, you know, the, the most modern wave of training is trainers that are becoming as the best they can possibly be at reward-based training. They're learning everything there is to learn there, and then also using tools like electronic collars in 
like scientifically precise ways on the lowest possible intensities in really, really subtle and calculated ways. That is the most modern wave of dog training. Yeah. So the people that say reward-based training is the most modern, most scientific, that's simply not true. Mm-hmm. And just the, the science has not caught up to it. There is yet to be a study that shows that. There has, there's yet to be like the, the, the existing studies on tools and methods when they, when they are testing how a dog responds to prong collars, e-collars, et cetera. Yeah. It's like the archaic methodology of those tools. There's yet to be a study that shows trainers using very skilled reward-based techniques and then layering on top of that very skilled application yeah. of aversives and testing that against reward only or against pressure only. That study does not yet exist. The science has not caught up. And I don't know if this caught out before, but I often use the saying that carpenters were driving nails into wood before physics could explain it. Science is always several steps behind the field. Right. Right. Science seeks to explain what is already happening. Yeah. So if things have to start happening first and then science figures out how to explain that right. science has not caught up to what the top level practitioners in the field of dog training are doing. And you look at a guy like, for instance, Ivan Balabanov, who's speaking at our conference, who is arguably one of the best trainers in the world. He can he, like when it comes to reward based training, he's about as good as it gets. I mean, he can run circles around people. But he also understands when and why it's necessary to go beyond that, right? Yep. He is one of the most skilled practitioners in the field. There is yet to be a reward-based trainer who has come even close to him in the, the sport that he um, practices, which is IPO, which involves protection and agility and obedience. That is a very difficult sport to do with only rewards. There are some people attempting to do it, but nobody has yet achieved the success that he has achieved. Right. Right. So, you know, it, it just is what it is at that point. But it's it's it, it, it's a very tough discussion and yeah. people are getting very, very angry about yeah. it. And I think the, the, the way forward is common ground. Right. To, to agree that there are there's stuff out there that's horrible. Yeah. Let's work against that. Let's stop fighting each other, because like you said, we're all here for the same reason. Yeah. We're all here trying to make dogs lives better. Yep. There's like there's there's animal hoarding, there's backyard puppy mill stuff. I mean, there's like there's real abuse out there. Yeah. Like, why are we fighting each other? Yeah. It makes no sense. Yeah. And it you almost know? it almost seems childish, too. You know, if if somebody does one thing and, and like you said, it develops it properly and, and gets to the I, I just find, um, you know, and I'm sure you see this, too, where people have come in from other training camps and said, we tried this and it just doesn't work and it just doesn't work. And, and I think, you know, for the dog owners out there, we live in a, we live in a, at a time where marketing is, is so transparent, meaning somebody will come out and say force-free, all natural dog training when really they're, they're actually going against nature where, like you said before, it's, it's very natural for any animal to, to protect and guard things and if 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 an if an older dog or or a more you know dominant dog if you will corrects a puppy or younger dog for for doing something i i would think that and maybe you can shed some light on that too that's pretty natural i mean in the in the dog world and in and working with wolves that i've worked with and working with some cases of dogs that have been you know abandoned and they really don't know the society and and where they fit it's actually really natural for for an animal to punish yet another living 
organism, if you will, if they if they threaten them or if they don't comply or if they're afraid of them or they're just pissed off at them. And I think that people out there that own dogs, they see the shiny thing of like force free or natural dog training when really they're they're potentially and usually essentially going against actually what natural dogmanship, if you will, is. Is that fair to say? Do you do you think? It- it, it, it is fair to say, but I think the danger or the slippery slope was this. And I'm just playing devil's advocate because, again, my background is actually in philosophy. So I'm, I'm trained to always look yeah. at all sides of an argument. Yeah. And I think when we look at something like that, we're like, okay, we can say, well, another wolf would bare its teeth and correct. They'd bite the neck. Sure. And that's the natural thing to do. So that's what we should do too. But, but you know, while I do understand that, I also think there's the other side of the argument that we as humans are higher level beings. Yeah. Right. And so just because that's what happens in nature doesn't necessarily mean it's the best way. And if there is a way to, to get the same end result without using that kind of intensity or intimidation sure. or aggression, if you will, then why would we not want to do that, right? Mm-hmm. So I think we don't want to limit ourselves to stop exploring alternatives yeah. and just say, well, this is how a wolf would do it, so that's what I'm going to do. Because I think – we're then not using our powers as humans, as right. higher level beings, as as beings that can hold ourselves to a higher standard. But, but, and again, you know, I, like, I just want to make it very clear: I'm not knocking reward based trainers. I love watching really, really skilled reward based trainers. People like Susan Garrett. There's a girl on YouTube named Emily Larlam. Insanely talented people. But here's the thing: what you don't see either of those two people really doing is reliably working with families who have like really serious, serious, serious behavior issues and aggression issues going on. Yeah. And they may sometimes do it and they may sometimes be successful with it. But here's the thing. No dog trainer out there who works with families and behavior issues. And I've worked with thousands of professionals traveling the world, just with the work that I do, no dog trainer out there can honestly say that they are 100% successful in all their behavior cases. No dog trainer can say that. Not me, not you, not even Caesar Milan. Like, even, you know, half of his pack that he used to have was dogs that owners couldn't be successful with that they couldn't keep. Right. You know, yeah. no dog trainer can say that. So knowing that and knowing that often when we as trainers fail, that oftentimes means the dogs end up in a shelter or worst off euthanized. Yeah. Okay. In those situations, can we look at ourselves in the mirror and honestly say, we exhausted all possibilities before putting the owner and dog in that situation where they had a really tough choice to make. Right. So I do think, you know, to kind of go back that we should always look at what are our available options? Is there a better way? Can I do this with less force, with less correction, mm-hmm. with less pressure? Yeah. But the, the other side of that is if you're a, a purely reward based trainer, when you have clients that are leaving your classes because they're not getting where they need to go or yeah. you're not 100% sure that your behavior modification really stuck and that those people are, are – and, and trust me, like if, if people are going to be out there saying that they never have failures, you are lying. You right. are lying to yourself, right? Yep. And when that happens, if you can't say that you exhausted all possibilities, then I have an ethical problem with that. Yeah. Because dogs are dying. Yeah, they'll die. Four million dogs a year yeah. are dying in shelters in this country. Roughly the estimates are about two-thirds of those at least are from behavior issues. Animal behavior problems, Yeah, it's one of the leadest causes of death yeah. of dogs. More than any medical issue, behavior problems are one of 
lightning causes them death. And that is a huge problem. And so if we're limiting ourselves, and this goes on both sides, if you're yeah. a if you're a force only trainer, if all you ever do is yank and crank on dogs, yeah. and you haven't experimented and, and educated your work is training, you are equally as guilty. Right? Yep. And that's why I think this dichotomy of of I only use this, I never. Any trainer that says only never, right? To me is like again yep. massive red, red flag. flag. I have yep. ethical, I have huge ethical issues with that. Yep. Unless you don't work with behavior problems, right? right? If you're a trainer who says, you know what, behavior problems aren't my thing. I just do obedience training. Right. And in my opinion, in my opinion, teaching a dog to sit and stay. Right is not worth putting pressure on them. I can't validate putting pressure on a dog to teach a sit and stay in my sort of sphere of sort of importance. Yeah. I can't justify the pressure. Fine. Yep. I can respect that. Yeah. I can absolutely respect it because there are certain things in my life with my dogs that I will not use pressure for. I can't justify it. Right. It's not, it's not important enough. It's not a safety thing. It's not, you know, it's not going to impact their welfare, their overall welfare. And so, and you know, we all have varying beliefs on what that means. And so that may dictate a little bit what we choose. Now, me, me personally, I think there are some elements of obedience training where it is worth it to use pressure, but there's people who disagree. But failure to sit and stay isn't landing dogs in the shelter right. and getting euthanized. Yeah, dog, right? dogs aren't, so yeah if, dogs aren't getting euthanized for not being able to sit. Right. Yeah. And so if you are a trainer who understands and who refers out behavioral cases and you yourself don't deal with that and you want to do only positive and refuse to use pressure, that is your choice Absolutely. and I respect it. But if you're going to work behavior problems and unless you're going to, you know, the people that, that you are unsuccessful with, you, you refer out. Cause I know trainers that yeah. they themselves choose only positive and, but they know that it has limits. Right. And when they hit those limits, they refer out to a trainer who uses a more expansive set of tools. Right. Don't you but think if you don't, then there's an ethical issue. Yeah, right? and don't, don't you think that in any profession, no matter if you're working on cars or you're an exotic pet dealer, in any profession, if, profession, if somebody comes to you and it's outside of your realm or if it's outside of your comfort zone, don't you think it's your responsibility to say, hey, you know, this is this is, and that's that's something that I I run into issues locally, uh, and I'm sure you do too. Is is people think that if you can't do it, then you're not as good, and I think that that's not yeah, true. That's no. not true at all. It's just like I don't work with puppies because I'm I'm I don't necessarily. I'm not good at working with puppies because I'm a problem solver. It's something that I was yeah. naturally. I don't do service dog training. I get people. I actually just had a client who came to me that wanted me to help train a service dog. Right. I don't do service dog training. Right. I won't do it. And it's too important of a thing. Exactly. For somebody who doesn't really know what they're doing to just to do it. dabble right. in. Yeah. It's too so, important. People's well-being depends on it. So I, I don't. I won't touch it. I won't. Yeah. Do service dog training. But okay. don't. And, and that's something that I've had a huge issue with. Uh, you know, and that's why it's hard for me to. You know, and I'm sure that as you know, too, moving forward in the dog training world and how we're trying to separate ourselves and and say, hey, you know, this is right, this is wrong or whatever it may be, wrong, right or indifferent. I think it's so important that if you're going to call yourself a professional and take money from people or potentially take money from people and put on your, you know, put on your website, put on your your sign that you're a professional anything that if it's not something you do then you should say, you know what, this is this is something I don't do, but here is actually somebody who can help you because I find that more pe more dog trainers would rather kill the dog or exhaust their all of their means to to help in their in their lane, if you will, and not be able to be successful. 
and they would rather almost kill the dog than 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 refer it to somebody else because they think it's going to make them look bad and it's not and i think that that's that's something i've been dealing with a lot like i have other trainers in my facility that work with um puppies and work with agility and things like that because i'm i'm frankly just not good at it i don't ha- i i i don't it's not what gets me out of bed in the morning but i've seen that a lot where certain trainers will not refer outside of their comfort zone or outside of their lane I don't know if it's an ego thing or it's it's a money thing, but dogs are dying because of it, and I think it's really important for people to understand what they're good at and what they're not. Yeah, I mean, I think that issue of, like, dogs are dying is, like, really the big one. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah it's, it's just, I mean, I could go on, like, a two-hour tirade about that, <laughs> which I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, but, yeah. you know, yeah, it, it's, it's huge. Dogs are dying because people are spreading, like, really ignorant beliefs. Yeah. And again, this like this false dichotomy that it's got to be like all positive or like you are just like abusing dogs every day. It's such a false dichotomy. And there's so much gray area there. Like I consider myself a reward based trainer. I mean, most of what I do when I'm training today is actually based on rewarding the dog. Yeah. But I also do other stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And I think, you know, there's just there's a lot that has nothing to do with the rewards. I mean, you look at a guy like Caesar Milan and I know like Caesar, man, you mentioned his name and like, like people like smoke comes out of their ears. Yeah, lo- love it or hate it. Know? That's it. There's no in between. Yeah. And I mean, regardless, like he's entertaining to watch and, and you know, whatever, but um, you know, he doesn't teach sit down, stay. He just sort of like goes in and, and addresses what's sort of like the underlying problem. Yeah. But I, you know, I saw an episode with him and it was, I was really, um, I was taken aback. I was actually impressed because he was working with a dog that was really, really dog aggressive. Yeah. And the dog was off leash. There was another dog behind a fence and the dog he was working with went beelining towards this other dog and he stepped in front of it, kind of made his little noise or snapped Mm -hmm. his fingers and used his body language. Yeah. And the dog stopped. Right. And he looked at the camera (laughs) and said, the dog's behavior was very intense. So I had to give a very big correction. Yeah. He didn't touch the dog. Exactly. He didn't, he didn't touch the dog, but he called that a very big correction. Right. And that goes back to what you were saying where like people think if you use an e-collar, like you're electrocuting the yeah. dog. Right. You <laughs> yeah. know, or a prong collar um, that think, it's, you know, it spikes and razor blades. Right. Yeah. I mean, you look at a guy like Caesar, if, if you watch, if you really watch him work and I've been out to his dog's psychology center and I'm not like a Caesar Milan devotee, the way I work is very differently from Caesar. I'm not like a, one of these people that like watches Caesar Milan and then thinks that they can like do everything he does. I, I work with dogs very differently than him. Yeah. Um, and there's things he does that I, that, that, that I definitely disagree with, but yeah. if you actually watch him work, not just the stuff on the television. Oh yeah. He is, he is actually pretty force free. Like, a huge portion of what he does, he's not even touching the dog. Like he's not even putting a leash on the dog. He's not even touching it with his hands. Yeah. Every now and then you'll see him give a correction with his hand or with his foot or with the leash, or he does use e-collars. But he, him working with families, so much of what he's doing is adjusting the people's body language and energy and their, the way they use their voice. Yeah. And a huge amount of the modification of behavior comes out of just changing the way the person presents themselves absolutely which if you watch caesar compared to a lot of traditional dog trainers yeah caesar uses far less physical correction than the average like quote-unquote balanced dog trainer out there yeah yeah for some reason he sparks the most vitriol 
from like the force free people. Yeah. When it's like, if people actually followed what he preached, it would actually reduce significantly the amount of force that's actually used in the dog eating world. If people yeah. actually understood and followed the stuff that he preaches, like make sure you exercise your dog. I mean, I own a Malinois, super high energy dog. If he's well exercised, yeah. I barely have to manage his behavior at all. Exactly. If he's not exercised, yeah, you oh, know, yeah. you got to be on top of him. If people just exercise their dogs the way he recommends, they wouldn't have to rely on choke chains and prong yeah. collars and e-collars. As exactly. Much. So it's like, Caesar Caesar gets attacked by the force free community, but he actually like a, a lot of what he's preaching would actually overall in the industry reduce the amount of force that's used. Yeah, you know, which I think is such a fascinating thing. The way that, that again, it's all about how you perceive it and the, that, and the filters that go through our minds, you know, with information, right? Yeah, yeah and I, th- I think it's important for people to understand too that, you know, when Caesar does something you know it's he's on a huge platform and if you're on it doesn't matter if you're the pope or you're selling you're selling hamburgers for children that are hungry somebody's going to give you shit about it somebody's going to be like hey of course this isn't this isn't right just because he's he's on too big of a platform but it all goes back to people thinking you're you have to be one way or the other and i and i and i and i want to find common ground with the dog community because if we all agreed and uh, that's what I've been having. I've been having huge issues with, and I actually just put a, a video together that we're going to launch today on my YouTube about if we just, if we really, and this leads us to our next topic of considering the dog. If we really did consider the dog, and we really did care about the dog, and it's something that you felt somebody else could do and you couldn't, then if you're not referring these clients to these people, then are you really in it for the right reasons? Are you, are, are you in it for, what are you in it for? And I think mm-hmm. when picking a dog trainer, that's something that you have to look into, you know, it, how long have they been doing it? Why did they get into it? What's their mission statement? And for me, it's something that I just naturally got into. And then I was very insecure about it because I didn't really know, you know, it's just something that I just naturally did. And I would call people like yourself and, and other people to say, Hey, uh, you know, I got all these clients coming in. I'm, I'm doing the best I can. I'm getting all these referrals. You know, what do I do moving forward? And I think that that's what dog owners should look for is people who do it because they care about the dog and they consider the dog. And that that will kind of bring us into our next topic about your new project with Consider the Dog. And um, I, I love it when I first heard about it. It, it really spark something for me because so many people when they come into my facility they they think that okay they they focus so much on correcting the dog they focus so much on how do i how do i punish the dog for for being bad and i'm like wait a minute you need to to not focus on that you need to learn how to also reward your dog and i always tell people 95% of the work that i do is is positive i mean i i give so much praise when the dog does something i like and then maybe there's that 5% negative you know, or discipline or pressure, but it's, it's for seconds. It's not for a long period of time. And if you're doing it properly, much like learning how to ride a bike, you know, you only need your training wheels for a little bit of time. And then after you learn how to do it with your training tools and whatever, then from there you can get them away or, or start, you know, minimizing them just a little bit more. And, um, so explain to me, you know, what what sparked you to to start the consider the dog um project and and what is it going to be about and, and and tell us a little bit about it um well this is a project that's sort of been on my radar for a couple of years now and the thing that really pushed it to happen right now was honestly um just again i just had my second child um and um 
just restructuring my professional life a little bit so that I can yeah. be home more on the evenings and weekends. And that was really the, the, the push to bring this project to light now. Yeah. Um, cause it's a little bit more of a time flexible project. Um, and, um, but, but the desire behind it was, you know, there are a lot of, well, not a lot, there are several, um, platforms out there that offer, you know, DVDs and streaming video content, um, yeah. on dog training. And most of them are really geared for like the dog training enthusiast or the professional dog trainer. So most of the right. material is all about competition or working dogs or, you know, agility. And they might have a, a little bit of stuff on it here or there that has to do with, with pets. Like I do yeah. some work with Learberg, you know, Learberg has a great online streaming platform and yeah. DVDs and they have some of the best instructors out there and they contracted me to bring some of the pet stuff into their realm. But most yeah. of their audience and, and who they really cater to is a demographic of like the enthusiasts, you know? Yeah. And there's not really anything out there that's really just for like Joe Schmo dog owner. That's really, yeah. everything is designed for them. And, and that's what this project is really designed to do. It's sort of like the, the reversal of what somebody like Learberg is doing. And I still work with Learberg. I have a great relationship with them. They're awesome people. You've met them as well. You, I mean, yeah. you know that they're freaking awesome people. Yeah. Um, it's just sort of like an adjunct what I'm doing with them. Yeah. Um, and I really wanted, when I was thinking about building out my own streaming thing, you know, I'm the kind of guy where I recognize that I am not the best of everything in the world. I, there's things that I'm really good at, right. but I'm, you know, again, I'm a philosopher by heart. That's my background. Philosophy means love of knowledge, yeah. right? love of wisdom. Yeah. I love learning. And I love, I'm always growing. I'm always learning. I'm always looking at my own weaknesses and saying, how can I make them better? And so when I was thinking about this project, I, I said, you know, I don't want to have my, just like my own sort of streaming membership site. That's just me. Right. I want to have other people on it that I think are doing really great things too. And I want to give an opportunity for other people to be able to put their own content on there. Yeah. As long as it sort of, you know, meshes with our overall values, there, there might be certain things even that I disagree with, but as long as it doesn't violate my, you know, my values. Yeah. Um, and um, kind of just, give a, a platform where trainers can come together yeah. and share their knowledge exactly, and that dog owners can come to and have sort of a one-stop shop where some of the best minds in the realm of dog behavior yeah. are coming together. And I, 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 I really want this to be a meeting ground. So I really have sought out a diverse spectrum. So for instance, there's people like myself, like I'm, I'm a very balanced guy. I do a lot of work with, you know, rewards, but also e-collars and prong collars. But I, I deliberately sought out a guy like Michael Shikashio, who is the um, president of the International Association of Animal Behavior Consultants, sort of like a, oh. a sister organization to the ICP. Yeah. And he is primarily, a he, his main message is a reward-based message, but he's not a jerk about it. Like he's, right. he understands that there are situations where you may need to, you know, deviate from that. But primarily his training and his method is a reward based, um, you know, message that he puts out there. And it was really important for me to have on this platform that the public has access to really good reward based trainers as well. Yeah. I am I have I've actually sought out trying to get some of the really good reward based trainers that I respect who they themselves are actually against using pressure. Right. But I still think they have awesome stuff to offer. And as long as they can sort of keep their message on target with the stuff they're good at and not bashing other things. I actually want to have people like that involved 
Um, unfortunately, it's difficult to get some of those yeah. folks with that philosophy to agree to be part of a project like this and actually work together right. with people who might have you know opposing views. But that's not just on their side. I don't want to paint it as a one-sided picture. There's also the other side, same thing. There's balanced trainers that refuse to collaborate with reward-based trainers. Exactly. It goes both ways. Um, but I'm, I'm really trying to find people that have have different viewpoints, that offer different methodologies, different ways of approaching the same problem, but who are capable of playing nicely together. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, so that the public has access to diversity, yeah. has access to options, because dog training is not one size fits all. The way I approach things is great for some dogs and some people, but there's people that come through my doors that decide that I'm not the right trainer for them, and yeah. that is perfectly okay. Absolutely. That is perfectly okay. You know, there's so many dogs out there. Like we don't need to, you don't need to be the fix all for everything. Right. And, um, and so that's considered the dog. It's, it's really cool. We all, uh, we're going to be offering, it's, it's sort of like soft launched right now at consider the dog.com, but ultimately there's going to be memberships available for very inexpensive. That'll give you access to tons of like quick free tips. And then you'll also, if you're a subscriber, um, you'll also get discounts off of more of like premium content, longer, more like DVD length type content. Um, And so, but, but everything will be available for also just like one off purchase. And there is some stuff that's just free. Like you don't have to be a subscriber. You don't have to pay a dime. Um, You just have to register for the site. And there's, there's a certain amount of content that's just free content that we're just putting out there for the public um, to give people a little bit of a taste of what we have to offer and to share some, some good info um, yeah. for people that may not have the budget for, you know, to sign yeah. up for anything. So it's going to be, it's going to be like a database where it's geared towards dog owners and not people who are specifically having problems. People who just want to want, want more information and want more knowledge yeah. and they can yep. go, they can go to the website and click a couple topics. Some of them are free. Some of them you have to pay a little bit of money for, and you can, yep. you can basically just have a little seminar in your bed laying down or on a flight or on a train and, and, and get and receive more information. Right. Exactly. Cause I mean, you know, you can go on YouTube and there's a tremendous amount of information on dog training there. And I, like, I recommend people do that. Like you can yeah. educate yourself pretty good there, but here's the deal. A it's not curated. Like there's thousands of dog trainers on YouTube. You don't know who knows what they're talking about and who's right. a total jabroni. Right. right so right, it's like, right. you, you have no idea. And then the other thing is because it's free information and people are extremely generous with what they share for free on YouTube. Yeah. But there's always a little bit that's being held back because sure. we've got to make a living, sure. right? Dog trainers yeah. have to make a living. Yeah. And so at a certain point, it's worth it to pay to know you're getting a, it's curated. Quality, There's nobody yeah. putting content on the site. That's not legit. That hasn't been tested. Right. right? And B the depth of information is going to be beyond what people are going to put out for free. Right. Because we need, we've spent like, I mean, you've gone to a zillion seminars, you travel all over the world, you, you, you travel to go do work at the wolf sanctuaries. Yeah. All that costs you thousands and thousands oh, yeah. and thousands of dollars yeah. to educate yourself. Yeah. You know, we got to make a living. Everybody's got to eat. Um, yeah. And so the idea is that because us as dog trainers are, are earning some money off of this information, we can actually share the same information that we would be sharing if you were to pay us to come in for private lessons right. or come to a workshop, but 
you don't have to pay for the private lessons. It's gonna be, you, know, yeah. you, you don't have to travel. And you don't comfort, have to leave your yeah, home. The comfort of your own home. That's that's brilliant. Yeah, exactly. Who exactly. are some? So it's a cool project. Yeah, and who, who do you uh, who do you have right now? As far as I think you you said you were going to call them contributors. I mean, uh, rattle off a couple names out there so maybe people can say, oh, I know them or I don't. That way they they can get a good idea of who's going to be on the project so far. Sure. So. Um, I'm going to rattle off some names. And again, because we're sort of just getting off the ground, right. some of these people may be contributing right away. Some of them may have things going on and may not be able to contribute to a little bit later. And some may have full intentions of contributing and then something pops up in their life and all of a sudden they can't. Of course. Right? So I can't, I, I don't want to say this these is, names yeah. and like promise that it's going to be there. Yeah. But the people that have been involved in, in, in uh, this so far, um, obviously myself yeah. and you, yeah. Um, you know, I reached out to you because I, I see the value of the content you have to offer. You have a massive following. People see value in the information that you share. Um, my good friend, Chad Mackin, um, yeah. who's been a longtime friend um, and his podcast partner, um, Jay Jack. Yeah. Um, Jay Jack's a phenomenal guy, specializes in working with bully breeds and just approaches things from a very different angle from the way traditional trainers tend to. Does yeah. a lot of work with tug and weight pulling and, and using games and activities and play yeah. as part of the rehabilitation process. Really fascinating stuff. Um, Amy Sadler, who's really well known in the shelter industry. She runs a program called Dogs Playing for Life. She travels all over the country, going to shelters and teaching them how to integrate play groups so these dogs can get out yeah. of the out of the kennels and socialize. And the work she does is unreal. I mean, she goes yeah. to shelters and just opens up the cages and lets these dogs come out and and wow. teaches the staff how to manage them safely. She is a courageous and phenomenally intelligent woman. And she has such a powerful message. So I'm really excited yeah. to have her involved. Um, my friend Kim Greco, who again comes out of a reward-based background. She's a former marine mammal trainer. So she trained, I don't know exactly what animals, but think like, you know, orcas and dolphins and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but now is in the dog world and runs a dog training business. Um, Michael Shikashio, I already mentioned. Yeah. Um, Sherry Lucas and Brian Agnew. They're um, independent trainers, but also partners in a workshop series that they do. Sherry, some people may know because she did used to work with Caesar Milan, um, although she very much has her own independent presence at this yeah. point. And Sherry um, did a Sherry did a lot. Sherry did a lot of shows with Caesar, uh, like Caesar's Recruit over in Asia. Yeah, stuff yeah, like that. Exactly, yep. exactly. But she's got her own thing. She runs her rescue. Um, really just genuine awesome person yeah, she's cool. um robert cabral um also has a, a organization that's heavily involved in the rescue and shelter world um, called bound angels he's really really involved in helping um shelter workers be better educated on how yeah. to give the dogs proper training get these dogs out of the shelters doing really really important work that's awesome. um really good guy so it's people of that caliber um, you know, people that are on a, a national and international platform, these are not just like Joe Schmo dog trainers. These are people yeah. that really know their stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, Michael Shikashio, for instance, like I said, he's primarily a reward based guy, but he only works with aggression cases. He wow. doesn't do sit down stay. He's, he's strictly works with aggression cases and he does seminars all over the world. He's got a partner whose name I forget. I apologize so much. Um, but, um, you know, these are these are these are world class people, top notch of very diverse. You got everything from Sherry Lucas, who, like I said, used to work with Caesar to Michael Shikashio and Kim Greco. You know yeah. what I mean? Like totally diverse spectrum of trainers. 
to give people access to a very diverse um, audience, very professional um, people, people with good hearts, people that are in it for the right reason, people who I'm proud to be involved yeah. with. Um, and, um, you know, that's kind of the important thing. And so, uh, you know, those are some of the people that are involved so far that I'm, I'm really excited about. We're just waiting on some legal stuff right now. That's kind of yeah. the only thing holding us back. Should be wrapped up with that within the week or so. And then um, we'll be ready to kind of start really Sweet. launching out more content. Currently, the website has some content on it. It's, it's only my website because the legal stuff we're working on is making yep. sure that everything is licensed properly, yeah. you know, when we're, bar- we're borrowing content from other people and that kind of stuff. And you have a Facebook, right? You can just Facebook, look up yep. Consider the Dog on consider Facebook. Consider the Dog. Yep. Cool. Correct, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Exactly. Well, dude, I, I appreciate your time so much. I'll let you go. I know you got a family. It's Sunday. It's probably your day, quote unquote, off. So I'll let you go. Is there anything else you wanted to, to plug in there and, and, and say? Uh, man, I think we covered it. That was, you, you do a great job interviewing, man. I really appreciate that. That was really nice talking to you. Yeah, absolutely, Tyler. Thanks for your time, man. And we will we'll catch up soon. Okay, sounds good. Tom. All right, brother. See you. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, subscribe to the podcast, and next week we will talk a bunch of dog stuff again. Thank you guys so much for your time. Peace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.